Good morning, church. You well this morning? Well, a few of you are well this morning. That's, that's good. Uh, hey, I want to just also, before we get started in the, in the scriptures today, I want to quickly go back and just revisit. I want to thank you, actually, for, uh, for our churchwide fast this last Wednesday and what an encouragement that was to me personally. And as I've gotten to talk with many of you, I know that it was encouragement to many of you as well. Um, I'm excited about what God is doing. There were just under 30 or so of us who met Wednesday evening after the day of fasting. We met for about an hour of prayer and, and took some time to just uh, um, see how we were doing. I just so appreciate hearing from you and from your hearts. Uh, so appreciate hearing your prayers. And, and it's obvious to me that God is stirring us as a congregation in a really, um, what I just consider to be a really cool way, a really neat way. Uh, bringing us together. There's this great sense of unity in the room and uh, this desire we all share to be, uh, to serve our community in Jesus' name uh, uh, more and, and better. And so I'm just excited about what God is doing among us. Thank you for, um, for joining us in that day of fasting. And there'll be more days to come as you know, and we'll uh, make you aware of those when they are getting closer. Uh, today, though, I want to take this time to, uh, I'm excited about what God has for us today, so if you'll take your Bible and meet me in Acts chapter 13, Acts 13, Acts chapter 13. Um, we're going to finish Acts 13 today, and so we have a lot to cover, uh, and it's all good. If you've been with us recently, you recall that we've begun the, this, this portion of the book of Acts in which the Christian gospel is about to explode um, uh, upon the world stage. What began in Jerusalem then uh, extended or expanded out into the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria uh, started to spark throughout the Roman Empire and spread like wildfire. At the center of this missions movement was a man we now know as the Apostle Paul, who uh, you may recall, who had once been uh, just fiercely, vehemently, strongly opposed to the Christian way. Um... And, and, and actually, he persecuted, he, he, he hunted and, and sought down and pursued those who followed Christ, who followed the Christian way. He, um, he really wanted to uh, just, just stamp out this, this new thing that was developing there in Jerusalem. He just wanted to squash it and stamp it out entirely. And, and so he was kind of leading the pack uh, uh, or leading the charge against that. And then he met Jesus for himself. And, uh, and of course, uh, he was saved by Jesus. And then he was called by Jesus to take this message of salvation to others. And, of course, as, uh, as it's been said, the rest is history. And so what we have here in chapters 13 and 14 is the first of Paul's three missionary journeys recorded in the book of Acts. It's about the year, um, it's about the year 46, A.D. 46, and this particular uh, missionary journey lasted about a year and a half. Um, so I'll throw up this slide again, just to give you an idea. We're, we're, in, we're looking at the blue arrows right now. And so they, they started, Paul and Barnabas, it's, Paul started in, in Syria, in Antioch, went to the island of Cyprus. That was last week. We looked at that last week. And then we're going to take that arrow up into the region of Pamphylia and Galatia. Uh, and so this is about the year 46, and this particular journey lasted about a year and a half. Uh, in fact, the book of Galatians, so you can see the province of Galatia there, uh, the book of Galatians, which is the earliest of Paul's New Testament writings, uh, his New Testament letters, was, was written 
during this time specifically to the churches he planted and founded on this particular trip. So as you read your New Testament and you're trying to figure out and remember how pieces fit together, the book of Galatians is a result of this particular missionary journey. Thank you, Tim. Uh, And our text today is Paul's first recorded full-length sermon. Now, by full-length, I mean that it, it moves, it does, it moves from an introduction to Paul's main body of thought, to his application and an appeal for response. And the people, as we will see, uh, I kid you not here, the people went nuts. Uh, They just went totally uh, bananas in a great way uh, in wanting to hear more. By the time Paul finished speaking, they were begging for more. And within a week, Get this, within a week, we're told that nearly the entire city had come to hear the word of the Lord. Now picture that. I mean, where are the people today who will share the simple gospel and where are the people who are begging to hear more? And so this is an encouragement for us, and it's so applicable because by this passage we're reminded that to us is sent the message of salvation. And hear this, people want to hear it, even if they don't know it at first. Let's read this together. It's a lengthy passage. We're going to begin at verse 13 and continue through the end of the chapter. It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and uh, came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. That's a different Antioch. Than, uh, than their, their hometown, their base, came to Antioch in, in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them... um, Judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, Sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they didn't recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, that is the cross, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. 
But God raised him up from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he's spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not let your holy ones see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you couldn't be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish from doing a work in your days, God says. A work that you, will, that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, just urged them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It is necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since, but since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for the Lord has, has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews, they incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, uh, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But Paul and, and Barnabas, they just shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we want to thank you for our time in, in the scripture today. And I'm just struck by the fact that, that not only this, uh, this book we have before us, our Bible, but, but really this particular passage, it just strikes me this morning that, that we're reading a passage here that has been read by literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, uh, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, people all over the planet from, uh, from, from generations past, we, we've gathered around this passage to hear from you. And I would just pray that today, as it's now our turn to gather around this passage, that you'd speak to us And that you'd uh, help us to receive all that you have for us today. That you'd stir in us a, um, like a dual stirring, a, a stirring first for you. That that really is born out of gratitude for what you've done in our lives. And then, Lord, would you stir us with a burden to. To, to, to share this good news with others. And so show us the way, even now. In Jesus' name, amen.
verses 13 through 16 reveal, we're just going to give you a little bit of background before we get into the meat of the sermon, the meat of Paul's sermon. Verses 13 through 16 reveal that, that Paul has assumed a lead role. Uh, before this, Barnabas seemed to be leading the way. Cyprus was Barnabas' hometown, remember, which may explain why they went there first, as we saw last week. But when Paul led the Roman proconsul at Cyprus to faith in Christ, it appears there was a slight change in roles and that Paul, from this point forward, Paul becomes the primary spokesman while Barnabas becomes his primary means of support. And when they left Cyprus and came to the shores of Pamphylia, we're told that John uh, left them. John, known also as John Mark, was a young man who served as an assistant to Paul and Barnabas, but something happened apparently that caused John to leave. And there's much speculation as to what this could have been. Um, It could be that he just bit off more than he could chew. It could be that the, uh, the road ahead, the task ahead, just seemed too daunting to him. It could be that he was afraid of, um, of what lie ahead. It could also be that, that, uh, that he, uh, he and Paul just didn't get along at first. And so with this change to Paul's leadership, that maybe that didn't sit well with John Mark, for whatever the reason, it's all speculatory at this point. But at any rate, John's departure was abrupt. And, and as we'll see in a couple of weeks or in the coming weeks, uh, this, this does become a source of tension between Paul and Barnabas. Together, though, together for now, they traveled from Perga into the province of Galatia to the city of Antioch in Pisidia. Now, this would have been a very demanding trip physically, very arduous. They would have had to cross the Taurus Mountains at a steady incline that that reached about 3,600 feet elevation. And apparently the the road to get there was known, it it just had a bad reputation. It was known for being filled with robbers and and thieves and just all kind of uh, shady characters. And so... It was, really, um, it was really quite a commitment and devotion to make this trek up to Antioch in Pisidia. Uh, and, the, and the difficulty of the terrain or the threat of danger obviously did not prevent them. And when they arrived, per usual, they began in the synagogue and they sat through the service. And they're just listening. They're listening to the reading of the law and the prophets. And after the readings, maybe to their surprise, they were asked if they had any encouragement, any encouragement to bring to the gathered assembly. And it's at this point where Paul stood and and began to preach. And and as I was thinking about this this week, uh, this scene reminds me of my experience in uh, Zambia a couple of years ago. Uh, you know this, but just to say it again, that, that the church looks differently in different parts of the world. And, and, and the church, stylistically, the style is different, and the style of worship is different. And certainly, uh, it's, it's no different. It, it is that way in, in Africa. It is a, a different, we'll just say it's a different vibe. It is the same church. It is, uh, it is uh, we're united in worship, but it is a different feeling altogether. And I was amazed when I was there uh, on day one, I was amazed by how the leadership of the worship service, this was during the pastor's conference, and the leadership of the worship service passed from one person to the next. To the point where someone is leading a song, leading the congregation in song. And when, when, when that person was done singing, he would look out into the crowd and he'd say, Brother so-and-so, why don't you come on up here and lead us in the next one? And that individual would come forward and, would, and, and then when he was done, he would say, And you over there, you so-and-so, come up and say a prayer or read a scripture or share a word of encouragement. And it was all spontaneous spontaneous. 
And I was amazed at how responsive the people were that at a moment's notice, when they were called upon, boom, they came up. And it didn't matter if they had the best singing voice or the best speaking voice. They were up and they gave it everything they had. And so who's ready to come up and finish this sermon this morning? (laughs) But seriously, how would you respond if you were spontaneously invited to address and encourage an entire assembly of people? Paul's response is noted in verse 16. He stood up and he motioned with his hand. I, I also just kind of wonder what, what, what that's about. I mean, whether it's just like this call to attention, whether it's an, like more of a, like an appeal to the heart. I'm excited. Yeah, I got a word. And after motioning with his hands, he began to preach. And I want to cover his sermon in its entirety today by dividing it into five parts. So all of that, everything up to this point is just all introduction. And now we're going to get into the meat of the sermon. Five parts. Here they are. A saving God. A sure promise. A triumphant Christ. A universal gospel. And a mixed response. Verses... 16 through 25 speak of a saving God. Speaking to a Jewish audience and to non-Jews who identified with Jewish thought, Paul began by taking his listeners on a journey through history that reveals the sovereignty of God and his endless supply of saving grace from one generation to the next. Paul went back to the patriarchs of uh, of Israel and to the rise of the people of Israel in the land of Egypt, but then being, being jealous and wary of an Israelite takeover, Pharaoh and his people, we know the story, they began to afflict and oppress the people of Israel, and yet God heard the cry of the oppressed, and he delivered them from their captivity, and then he led them to the promised land of Canaan. And along the way, we're told that he put up with them. He put up with their complaining and their incessant grumbling and their, um, their hardness of heart. God was just merciful and patient with them. And not only was he just put up with them, but he actually went before them and he drove out before them. He drove out their enemies so that they could step into the promised land and receive the promised land as a gift from God, as a, as a divine inheritance from His hand. And so from the patriarchs to Moses to Joshua to the judges, God, God saved them and He provided for them and they wanted a king. Remember, they wanted a king like other nations to lead and represent them. And so God provided Samuel the prophet who appointed King Saul. And when when Saul's heart turned, God provided David to be king, a a man whose heart was for the Lord and therefore demonstrated God's heart for the people. And yet we know that as, as great a king as David was, he too needed saving, right? And so eventually from David's line, uh, 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 came the king of kings Jesus Christ who would not fall or fail in any way or fail to save in any measure and, and God then sent John the Baptist to announce these things John the Baptist was a man given by God to prepare the way for Christ John was a holy man uh, John attracted uh, just multitudes of people who were coming to him uh, and, and they were repenting before him. And yet he made it very clear that he was not the one to look for. He's not the one. Instead, he said, listen, there's someone coming after me and, and I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And so what I want us to see here is that in the span of one paragraph, 
Paul walked the people through their own history from the patriarchs to the promised Savior to show that God is sovereign and gracious and willing and wanting to save. It's as if he's saying, hear this, church. It's as if he's saying that every moment in history, every moment in our lives is being used by God to point us to Christ in some way. Because he is a saving God. Which leads to number two, a sure promise. Notice that Paul appealed to their sense of privilege and responsibility in verses 26 through 32. He says, to us, to us. All of Abraham's descendants and and all who worship God are privileged to receive this message of salvation and to share it with others. But great privilege comes with great responsibility and, and to their great demise, the rulers... And teachers of Israel at Jerusalem, of of Israel at that time, they missed the saving grace of God in Christ. They just missed it. And Paul says, though they read the, the Messianic prophecies, though they read those prophecies faithfully week after week, they failed to see and understand how it all points to Jesus. And instead they condemned Jesus They could find no guilt in Jesus, but they turned on him and they plotted against him and they conspired to crucify him under the hand of Pontius Pilate. And when Jesus died, they buried, they buried him. But God, being the the sovereign, saving God he is, God raised Jesus from the dead. And there's no question, there's no question that that he died because he was buried. And there's no question that he was raised because, because he appeared to many people. And those who saw him in his resurrected state, Paul says in verse 31, were now uh, witnesses to this. They were witnesses to the resurrection of Christ, and they were telling others everything they saw and heard. And then Paul comes first full circle, saying in verse 32 that the promise God made to Abraham The promise he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is now fulfilled in Christ. God promised to bless Abraham and to bless all peoples through Abraham, and the promise of God's full blessing was now realized in Jesus. Jesus is the the way by which the blessing, that God's blessing to the world is going to come. He's He's the means. And Paul and his companions were there to share this message with them, as he says in verse 33, that what God has promised, he has fulfilled by raising Jesus. In other words, the surety of God's promise is proven by the resurrection of Christ. That's the point. And so we have a triumphant Christ, number three. Paul quotes three different prophecies in succession, each one, or, or one each, in verses 33, 34, and 35 to show how they each refer to Jesus and his triumph over death. So from Psalm 2-7 to Isaiah 55-3 to Psalm 16, Paul was showing the people that Jesus has been the appointed victor all along. In other words, he was saying, listen, this Jesus you've been hearing about, he's not just new on the scene. He's been the one all along. And with Psalm 16, for example, he quotes David, who in that psalm, David was describing his confidence in God. And to God, he writes in verse 10 of that psalm, he says, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. And the word corruption here means decay or deterioration. 
decay or deterioration. So in this portion of Psalm 16, David is referring to someone he calls the Holy One who, whose body will not decay. And Paul here in Acts 13 clarifies that this statement cannot refer to David because when David died or fell asleep and when David was buried, his body saw corruption. In other words, David's lifeless body decayed just as lifeless bodies do today. But Jesus, according to verse 37, when he was buried, he wasn't subject to decay because God raised him from the dead. Though dead and buried, Jesus resurrected to new life. That is to say that, that Psalm 1610, uh, which Paul quotes here, is a direct reference to the resurrection of Jesus. It was therefore revealed to David. This is the point he's making. It was therefore revealed to David centuries ago, centuries ago, that one of his descendants would claim the ultimate victory over death, a victory in which David would share in the final resurrection to occur when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead for good. So the connection Paul is making between Psalm 16 and Acts 13 is that Jesus has conquered death and that it's been the plan all along and that anyone who trusts in Jesus will, be, uh, will share in his victory. He is a triumphant Christ. Okay, are you with me? There's a lot to cover there and we're trying to do it in short order. Did that make sense? Okay, so a saving God, a sure promise, a triumphant Christ. And then we move to a universal gospel. It's the application Paul arrives at as he concludes his sermon in verses 38 through 41. And here he presents the gospel saying that through this man, Jesus Christ, through this man, and because of his resurrection, forgiveness and freedom from sin is now available. Sin destroys us. Sin robs from us. Sin tears us down and will ultimately kill us. Already, it destroys us spiritually. It breaks relationship with God. And so the proclamation of full forgiveness, full forgiveness, is that not good news? It is incredibly good news. It is life-imparting news. It is life-changing news. It is news-worthy of our time and attention. It is news worthy of your personal response. And concerning this response, Paul presents two options, only two, to either believe or to remain in unbelief. And with verse 39, he, he shares the great reward of those who believe. Everyone who believes, he assures, is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Basically, though the law is good and meant for our good, our inability to keep it reveals our guilt and therefore condemns us. And if you question this, we can just walk through, real briefly, we can just walk through the Ten Commandments that, Mo that, that Moses brought to the people. Um, you know, is God first in your heart and life? Always. 
do you ever worship or love or, or, or bow down to figuratively? Do you ever bow down to something, anything besides God? Uh, do you ever misuse the name of God or take his name for granted or be flippant with the name of God? Regarding the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath, is it your practice? Are you intentional to, to, to keep your work confined to just six days as a way of trusting God to provide for that seventh day and for everything else? That your, that your, your needs are in God's hands ultimately. Have you always honored your parents? Always. Have you ever murdered? Maybe not literally, but Jesus would say, do you kill with your words? Is your uncontrolled anger destructive in this way? Have you, have you ever committed adultery or entertained lust in your heart? Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours to take? Have you ever lied or badmouthed someone else unjustly? Have you ever been envious of what others have? And so how are you holding up thus far? You see, the law is good. Each of these commandments is a good thing, right? It's intended for our good but our inability to keep it reveals the guilt within and condemns us. Because we've all broken God's law, we're all deserving of just consequence. No one person is free from guilt and no one gets off scot-free because God is just. But the gospel says that when a person trusts in Jesus, essentially when they entrust themselves to his care who died for their transgressions and rose again, that person, by God's grace, is freed from sin and its consequence of death. So then, we got to hear this. If we're not freed in this way, we're still bound in sin. We are imprisoned by sin. We are enslaved to sin, and it will destroy you in this life and in the life to come. I love the words, everyone and everything in this verse. They are so important. Everyone means every one. And everything means everything. This promise applies to every single person who trusts in Christ. Listen, no matter how close or far from God you think you are, uh, no matter what you've done or haven't done, no matter how many uh, commandments you've failed to keep or how many times you've failed to keep them, no matter how overwhelmed by your guilt you've been. Have you ever had those moments where you were just overwhelmed by guilt? God in his love justifies you because the just penalty of sin was, was laid upon Christ instead. Everyone includes you and all those you know, all those you know. And everything includes every single sinful thought, word, and deed, no matter how unforgivable you may think it is. Are you hearing me? No matter how unforgivable you may think you are, God has made a way. He desires none to perish, but to repent and be reconciled to Him through Christ, to be free from sin and death, 
to be free to enjoy life with God uh, as intended from the very beginning. Is this not good news? And so back in verse 15, I love this, right? Back in verse 15, the rulers say, hey, if any of you guys have something encouraging to say, go ahead and say it. And Paul has delivered in spades. Oh, I got something encouraging. Where do you get a hold of this? But those who do not yield to Christ are not freed. Those who remain in their unbelief will bear the consequence of sin themselves, which is what verses 40 and 41 warn against. It's a warning against unbelief and hardness of heart. Uh, Listen, this is just honesty. It's love on Paul's part. It's love on God's part to say, uh, okay, I'm giving you the full scoop here. You have this option, and this is what comes with this option, and you have this option, and this is what comes with this option. It's a way of just letting us know that to reject the Savior is to reject salvation. And those who do so are like those mentioned earlier in the passage who who missed seeing what was right before their eyes. And so let's not be let's not be like like those who are just so close to Christ and yet so terribly far away. And finally, then, we find a mixed response. A mixed response. Some people, intrigued by the message and the news of God's grace, they just begged to hear more. You know, I can't help but thinking, but think that, that maybe they went to synagogue that day like we go to church today. Maybe they went to synagogue that day just thinking, uh, yeah, that's what I do. That's what I do. I I, I go to synagogue. Part of my routine each week. Maybe they went to synagogue that day just just thinking, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll hear another Bible story. That, That might be good. Maybe they went to synagogue that day saying, you know, you know, hopefully maybe somebody will stand and they'll just give me, uh, give me a little a message that, that's going to, um, uh, you know, make, I, I want to feel, I, I've had a rough week and I want to feel a little bit better about myself. And so maybe I'll get a, just a nice uplifting message and, and maybe a few tips on how to, how to enjoy life more. And yet when they arrived to their amazement, they heard instead the very words of life that touched the deepest need of their souls. I mean, you just never know when God is going to invade your consciousness. And no wonder they wanted Paul and Barnabas to return the following week. And, and when the next week came, we're told that, that almost the entire city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, now do you think that's exaggeration? Do you think the Luke, the author of this, do you think Luke's like, you know, there really only were maybe like a dozen or so, but let's, let's call it the entire city. I don't think so at all. I think nearly the entire city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Can you imagine an entire city flocking to the synagogue or to the church today? People just wanting to learn how God has moved throughout history to bring salvation to the lost. Clearly, this just goes to show that there was an emptiness inside of them, just like there is in us today, in people we know today. There was this God-shaped hole in them. There was this eternal vacuum in them, this need in them for something more that was finally being met. Imagine how the news must have traveled that week as word spread from house to house and street to street that salvation, hey, have you heard? Salvation from God has come to us and our town. Verse 
that, that even we, even us, we can be freed and forgiven. It's no wonder this message hit with such power and they weren't going to miss their opportunity. But not everyone was receptive. Some of the Jewish rulers were told they were jealous. They began tearing down Paul's message and they began to tear him down too. And they were just contradicting everything he was saying. And Paul and Barnabas... Uh, in verse 48, they just said, okay, well, if you're not interested, we're going to preach to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And the Gentiles, when they heard this news, they were like, woohoo! Because they needed hope in the Lord as well. And this made the the Jewish leaders, those unbelieving Jews, even more resistant. And so they incited certain women and men of high standing to oppose these Christian missionaries. And then finally, the the opposition grew to such to to where it drove Paul and Barnabas out out of the district. But the work wasn't in vain. Because we're told in verse 52 that left behind were disciples. They were followers of Christ. And these disciples were filled with joy. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so a saving God. uh, A sure promise. A triumphant Christ. uh, A universal gospel and a mixed response. And with that, chapter 13 draws to a close. And and before we draw to a close, I have just a couple of minutes more. Before we draw to a close this morning, I want to offer just five quick thoughts in terms of application. And, And basically my question is, what can we learn from Paul here? And so the first is this. I just want you to encourage, I want you to encourage others with Jesus. Encourage others with Jesus. I mean, people everywhere, people you know, I know, people everywhere, we, we need encouragement, right? We need encouragement, and, and so did they, and so they're, that's why they're being told, hey, do you have any word of encouragement? And I love how Paul said, yeah, and the, and, and the, the best way I could encourage you, the best way I know how to encourage you is to tell you the best news I know. And so when that opportunity came, he seized it. And so when your opportunity comes, and it will, take it, take hold of it and encourage others with Jesus. Number two, become familiar with the whole Bible. The whole Bible. Become Familiar with the whole Bible, Paul was able to walk people uh, through centuries of biblical history only because he had first learned it himself. And so I think we need this is just an encouragement for us to read the Bible in its fullness to read both Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament, to see how, how the, the parts of the Bible fit with, with the rest of the Bible, how this section in, in Exodus or the Judges or the Prophets, how, how this section fits into the larger story being told by God. Become familiar with the whole Bible. Number three, Build bridges with people. Build bridges with people. Uh, Paul knew where the people were coming from in terms of their worldview and religious thought, and so he was more equipped to introduce God's truth into their situation. You, You see that? Like he understood where they were coming from, and then he was able, because of this, he was able to introduce this into this in a way that that they could grab onto. 
And so I, I just think we, we can grow in this area of taking the necessary steps to, to learn about people, like to learn where they're coming from, to learn the, uh, uh, as much as you can a little bit of their history, their story, so that you can introduce God's story into their story. Because as we know, God has already been involved in their story, even if they don't realize it. Number four, keep it simple. Just keep it simple. Notice that Paul didn't complicate things, but rather made them less complicated by presenting the simple realities of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And, and why these things matter. And so let's not make things more difficult or daunting when we don't need to. And then fifth and finally, maybe, maybe, this, is, uh, maybe this is the, 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 the biggest takeaway we, we have this morning is just leave the results to the Lord. Like just leave the results to the Lord. Though many came to faith, many others didn't. And, and what I've noticed here is that Paul and Barnabas weren't deterred or discouraged by that. And as a matter of fact, it, it seems like they, they didn't get too high or too low because they knew it wasn't up to them. This, this picture, this image of shaking the dust off your feet, that, that's, that's basically a way of saying that, that we've done our part and now, and now the results are out of our hands. That's a good word for us. Just to understand that not everyone will respond positively, but others may by God's grace. Either way, it's not our decision to make. And so to us is sent the message of salvation. And despite what, what, what we may think, those in Antioch and Pisidia at that time remind us that people need this message and that people want to hear this message even if they don't know it at first. And so let's receive it ourselves and share it with others with gratitude to God, to the glory of Christ, and, in, and with great confidence in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for encouraging us today. May we, may we uh, take what you've said and apply it, or may you apply it to us, and may we take it with us as we leave this place and go into our various um, um, interactions today and this week. Make us to be um, uh, involved with people, open those doors and give us those opportunities and when they come would you give us the faith and courage to seize them and bring encouragement to others we pray this in the name of Jesus Amen